Okay, everybody, this week's episode of Run Past Michigan is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. So I, I would suggest going there, go, go, go to Game Time. I actually had somebody ask me that like two weeks ago from Ohio where they should go find uh, maybe a secondary market ticket. Uh, I suggested Game Time. They came back and told me that uh, the ticket price there was much lower than it was at some of the other ones that you use. Uh, beyond football season, of course, as we know, uh, all sports, uh, NFL, MLB, baseball, or uh, hockey, basketball, whatever it is, uh, concert and theater tickets are in there as well. And then the uh, signature part of the whole thing is the two-tap checkout. A lot of things in our life we wish we could do in two taps, clean our house, clean our car, everything else. We can buy tickets in two taps, uh, as you know, with GameTime. So the GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the app in the Google Play Store or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. We want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. All right, everybody, welcome back. Well, I guess welcome in to a special episode of Run Past Michigan, RPM podcast. It's all decade week. Uh, here at the Athletic, as maybe I'm sure you've noticed by the time this airs, there's all decade everything <laughs> everywhere. As it no is one that, blitzes that quite like the Athletic, right? Um, and as we did, the Athletic uh, and Don Brown, the yeah, two right, biggest blitzers yeah, in, right. in America. <laughs> I'm Nick Baumgartner, of course, with Austin Meek here in Ann Arbor. Um, special, special all decade podcast today, Austin, as we did the all decade Michigan team. Uh, I believe the Colton and Chris Vanini did the all decade Michigan State. Um, Brandon and I did the all-decade Michigan and Michigan State basketball teams. So here we are today to do the all-decade Michigan football team. Of all those other ones, this one might be, might be the one. <laughs> the, the basketball one was really kind of cool because uh-huh. there was like, you, you thought about all these great, like I think we went through both teams and we're like, there's only like two guys here that didn't play in a Final Four. Yes. This, for Michigan football, some of the decade, not one, not something many <laughs> folks are going to want to want, but some of it still produced some pretty good players on this list. Yeah, a little, maybe a little more traumatic uh, yeah, for, right. for some Wolverine fans <laughs> to relive this decade. Uh, for some other, if you're an Alabama fan, you're probably really enjoying <laughs> yeah. the all-decade yeah, team, right. uh, and maybe not quite as much on the Michigan yeah. side, but still some, you know, some uh, some some good memories and certainly some some yeah. good players mixed in there. I was uh, I was fortunate to be sitting next to you in the press box it, yeah. uh, working. <laughs> on this because as somebody who's covered like one twentieth of, of the decade, right, right. Uh, I, I, I saw a lot of these guys play from afar yeah. uh, on my on my television. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you pretty much covered Cover the whole yep. decade, yeah. Yep. Uh, so so yeah, well I guess let's just dive into it. Uh, let's let's start at the top. Uh, all decade quarterback uh, yeah. Was that a pretty easy call to, be, to put to Denard, Denard Robinson yeah. in there? Yeah, has to be Denard. I mean, it's it's uh, the quarterback position for Michigan was one that. I mean, ultimately got Brady Hall fired. I mean, they couldn't quite figure it out, and and Jim Harbaugh struggled to get. You know, Jake Rudock had that one terrific year, of course, and Wilton probably played better than people thought he would. Um, Shea Patterson's had some nice days, but Denard Robinson is still the guy, um, and I and I think he has to be the guy, not not just because of the production. I mean, I believe he was the offensive player of the year in the league uh, in 2010. Yes. Um, and sort of like a record-setting type guy, and a, and a, and no one at Michigan's ever been like he's like the most unique 
probably guy there. But I think a lot of folks would tell you. So when I first started covering Michigan, it was 2011. So it had been Denard's junior year. And I can remember uh, going through those first early years of the decade. And I think we had a conversation once. I can't remember. It was on Twitter. It was something where the basketball team had gone to the Final Four with Trey Burke. And, and Trey Burke had had this terrific two-year run. And I remember saying to people, like, who are you more who 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 like gave you more enjoyment, Trey Burke or Denard Robinson? And I got so many people that said Denard Robinson, and hmm. I was like, well, why? He didn't win any. They didn't win, and they, and a lot of them said, even during the lowest points of like the Rodriguez era, and even with Brady, uh, even though they had a really good year in 2011, there was always Denard. Like that's what I was always told by people. You could always watch the game and be like, well. No matter what happens here today, Denard Robinson's probably going to do something that was pretty cool and I'm going to be able to see. And, yeah, the most beloved guy, I mean, he was polarizing to a degree because I think there was a lot of people that thought, you know, boy, I wish he played another position or maybe he could catch the ball. But I think that the most sort of universally embraced, beloved offensive star that Michigan's had since I've been doing this, I used to always use Denard Robinson as the example of why I thought college athletes should be able to use their name, image, and likeness. <laughs> yeah. Because I got to tell you, if Denard Robinson in 2010 or 2011 had gone down to the mall and set up a table, <laughs> he would have made several thousand dollars every time he did it because he was a big deal. Uh, everyone knew the dreadlocks and they knew Denard's smile and everything else. So certainly has to be Denard. You can maybe make the argument for some other guys having some nice nice seasons too, but uh, he's the guy everybody will think of. In the decade, probably. Yeah. Uh, the guy that everybody on the face of all that for people. So part of this all decade, uh, all decade story was also to pick out some of the best moments of, yeah. of the decade. Was there a Denard Robinson moment for you that that stands above the others? I mean, obviously, the yep. Notre Dame game under the lights—that was one of the ones that I yeah. put on there as, as a great moment. But is that the one for you, or are there some other? I think the one for everyone else. I wasn't here yet, but the one the the Notre Dame previous year, the 2010, where he he had just this crazy breakout game is probably the one that most people. Signify he had like an 87-yard touchdown run in Notre Dame Stadium, mm-hmm. um, and that was the signify you know that the whole you know that's Denard. Uh, for me, yeah, it was probably the Notre Dame game at the end of the year. He had a run against like I think it was Air Force in 2012, maybe that was ridiculous. That was like 80 something yards. Um, there were all these, you know, all these little little things, and I think the one thing I, I remember as much about anything else, um, and this is just me being weird, but I mean when. He got hurt uh, in 2012 and hurt his elbow. It was like an ulnar or whatever they call it, yeah. uh, nerve, and couldn't throw it anymore. So they had to. So he sat out for a couple weeks, and then he came back in and played when Devin Gardner was a quarterback, and he was basically like a running back. Yeah. And um, played really well, like against Iowa. Played really well against Ohio State, and then in the in the Outback Bowl against a pretty good South Carolina team, Denard was like awesome. He was like an awesome running back who just never really done this before and was put in this position and uh, really had a good game. I mean, it was one of these guys who was just uh, really electric in anything he did, but also whenever we talked to Denard, I guess the thing I remember most is he was just very positive. He was a very positive guy. And that's the thing. Okay, so my most biggest memory I'll have of Denard forever is, I can't believe I didn't think of this. Uh, the Big Ten still does this. At the kickoff luncheon, the Big Ten media days, they do the speeches. Yeah. Denard gave the speech the one year, his uh, last year, senior year, 2012, and he talked about uh, his personal life for the first time ever. And, you know, growing up in Florida and, and, and where he grew up in, was it Deerfield Beach, I believe? Uh, and I believe he'd lost his brother uh, when he was younger and he, mm-hmm. and he didn't, no one really knew Denard's, he was very private. 
and he gave this terrific speech. Um, and he was never the greatest public speaker, but he gave this great speech, and everybody everybody liked Denard. That's what I remember most is you couldn't find anybody that had a bad word to say about him. Just a really positive guy, nice guy, and a, and a memorable player for sure. I'm looking at Michigan's uh, career rushing list. I did not realize he's number two. Is yeah, that right? He, he, yeah, I mean, he was... Wow. <laughs> I mean, for a long time, we had to use the stat, like, uh, Fitz Toussaint is the first non-Denard Robinson 1,000-yard <laughs> yeah. rusher since Mike Hart or whatever. And uh-huh. like the same thing with when Karan Higdon got it because Denard did it a couple times and he was just, yeah, I mean, he was big time. I mean, he, he may have had the Big Ten record for all-purpose yards for a while. I think it might have been broken, but I think he either had it or was close. Hmm. Well, that uh, that leads us into our all-decade uh, running backs. Yeah. Uh, Karan it. Higdon fits, uh, fits Toussaint. Yeah, the pretty easy call. The, the two guys, yeah. who, the two thousand yard backs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fitz was um, a thousand yard back as a junior there in twenty eleven, um, and wasn't the full load guy that year. He was he had to win the job from a few others, and then in twenty twelve, they had a tough go um, early in the season moving the football, and then I think he was playing really well toward the end. and He got hurt, um, and he played the NFL for a minute too. I think I don't think we ever saw the full season. Uh, the full healthy season's worth of a uh, full load of Fitz Like if, if he'd had the, uh, we finally saw it with Karan Higdon in 2018 where he was the man the whole year and, you know, he was hurt a little bit early in the season um, and he was obviously outstanding. And I think that if we'd seen a full season, 12 games, 13 games of Fitz all the way through being the unquestioned guy, I think he would have put up some big numbers. He was really good. Both those guys were, were similar backs, you know, one cut sort of downhill guys who could get to the edge faster than you probably thought they were. Um, and then, you know, Fitz was, you know, the guy who had to play in a couple different offenses. Higdon was another guy who signed really late with Michigan. I think he flipped on signing day from Iowa, got in here and just immediately surprised people, I think, with his ability to get, you know, find a, find the gap and get through it as fast as possible. He never got knocked back. He didn't lose many yards. Uh, I we was, always used to say he was the guy who ran behind his pads, which was the guy, you know, falling forward all the time. Uh, that was always what struck out to me the most about him early, and then eventually he developed into a guy that had a little more shake to his game, could run through people, and had way better speed than I think anybody really realized. So he finished like six yards short of a 1,000 uh, as a junior and thought about going pro and probably could have uh, and probably would have been in position to be drafted. He ended up not being drafted as a senior, which sort of surprised me. I think he was hurt. Um but I think he's still on a roster with the, with the Texans and everything else. So, yeah, Higdon and Fitz were two the two guys that I picked. I mean, the most reliable in terms of that during that stretch. I think if I'm trying to think of Davion Smith would maybe be another one that would uh, be in the conversation. Yeah, uh, looking at, pretty steady there for Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, looking at the uh, leading rushers for the decade, it's it's Denard and then uh, Karan Higdon, uh, 2,600 yards. Mm-hmm. Fitz Toussaint, uh, almost 2,300 yards. Yeah. So that's that's your list. That those are your leading Michigan rushers. Yeah, for the Harbaugh decade. loved Davion Smith. Um, Davion got so much better as time went on with his vision and everything else. And by the end, he was a really reliable player. But yeah, Harbaugh loved him because he was just a 240, 30 whatever pound truck who just ran over people all the time, so that was another favorite of his for sure. All right, wide receiver. Uh, maybe a few more choices on this yeah, one. Probably. That was a, maybe a little bit tougher. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Gallon was kind of, I think, yeah. sort of like that was the yeah. guy you start with. and then. Yeah. Uh, but getting another guy on there was maybe had a couple different yeah. choices there. Yeah, so we, we went with Gallon and uh, Amara Darbo, 
And Gallen is the one to me that had to be on there because of the things he was able to do at five foot six or whatever he was, five foot seven. Um, an outstanding route runner, terrific hands, uh, a great leaper for a guy his size. Wasn't like ridiculously fast, was fast enough, good, quick, was solid, quick twitch. But Gallen, oh my God, if Jeremy Gallen had like, if he was six foot one, he would still be in the NFL. I mean, he had all of the little things. He had such a good rapport with uh, Devin Gardner. Um, you know, they had the back shoulder thing going really well in the year that 2013, which was a kind of a rough year. Gallon had he was a thousand yard receiver. I think he set records and in, you know, number three all time, yeah. 2,700 uh, receiving yards. And he had that game against Indiana where he had the Big Ten record for I think over 300 yards receiving. Hmm. Uh, just a crazy. A crazy talent that was just in this weirdly shaped guy. It was like everybody thought thought Jeremy Gallon was going to be this like slot artisan, right? This like inside receiver who was really quick twitch. And but I I, I always saw Jeremy Gallon as a great outside receiver who could just work against pretty much anybody. And if he was boy, if he was a little bit bigger, yeah, he would have been uh, just a monster, a monster player. I think a guy who probably would still be in the NFL. I mean, he was just a really good football player. Also, never afraid to block. And that was the other thing with Amara Darbo, too. I think when I put both those guys on there, Darbo got his, his career was sort of derailed early with a foot injury that sort of threw him off, so he had to regather himself. But the improvement he made through the end of 2014, through the first year with Jim Harbaugh, and then the 2016, Darbo was the best receiver they had. Um, you know, Jay, Jay O'Chesson might be the other guy that you'd have the argument with. Yeah. Probably had a better 2015 than Amara did, but. Uh, it was awfully close, and then Amara finished really, really well. I mean, he was a, a really complete college receiver. Who both those guys, Gallon and Darbo, you could they made difficult catches. It's the catch in traffic, right? It's the that's not a very good throw, but they made the catch anyway. You know, those mm-hmm. guys did that quite a bit. That's why they always kind of stood out to me. All right, let's see. Funchess was probably the most talented. Funchess, yeah, he was one we but discussed. But Funchess also started out playing tight end, and then they eventually moved him to receiver. And I don't think we ever got to see the full version of Devin Funches for, for a variety of reasons. He never also got to play with a quarterback that was probably at that level, or in an offense, I should say, that was at the level. It'd be interesting to see what he would have done maybe with Jake Rudock. Um, but, you know, I won't the other two. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, tight end, uh, Jake Butt. Was that a pretty easy one? Yeah, that's easy. That Jake Butt's maybe the best tight end that's ever played here in terms of production. Uh, Jake Button, Ron Kramer. I mean, those are the two that, uh, and I think he's past Ron Kramer in most uh, most of those categories. Um, and obviously, for Michigan fans, Jake Butt's like the ultimate Michigan guy. I mean, he loved loved playing here. Jake Butt should have gone pro after his junior year and didn't because he loved playing here and all those things. Uh, then he gets hurt in the Orange Bowl, of course. Uh, great guy. Works really hard, improved every year, was a college-ready player, best high school tight end prospect I've watched live since I've been doing this. Funchess, again, probably was, but I don't count Funchess because he should have been playing receiver the whole time. <laughs> Jake Butt, a terrific player, a uh, good dude, still still giving it a shot. I think he got hurt again this year, which has been tough yeah, to see. Yeah, he's, he's been kind of snake bit yeah, injury-wise. Um, did have the insurance policy, so that's helped him out, but I think he's another guy. You talk to Jake Butt, and he has no regrets, mm-hmm. which is just a... You know, I, I wish I could live my life that way. It's so clear-headed, but uh, really good dude and a terrific player. I mean, he was the classic two-way tight end. He could block. He could he could run. He made tough catches. Uh, really, really good football player. All right, moving on to the offensive line, our two offensive tackles. Uh, 
Taylor Luan, who also made a uh, cameo yeah. in our uh, Michigan State uh, players did. you disliked playing against, <laughs> right, which uh, yeah. is kind of on brand. Uh, yeah, very on brand. Taylor Luan and Michael Schofield. Yeah. What do you remember about those guys? Funny enough, they both played on one of the worst, maybe the worst <laughs> offensive line together because the interior was so young. Uh, but Luan, of course, in terms of physical, I mean, people have their opinions about Taylor Luan, and a lot of them I'm not going to argue with uh, in terms of away from the game or. Or these types of things, but in terms of actual physical ability, he is the Taylor Lewan might be the most gifted player I have seen at Michigan in terms of actual physical talent. This guy is six foot eight, three hundred. I mean, lean, three hundred and fifteen pounds. His forty time at the combine was like four eight something. He was running like a tight end. He's long. Uh, he was lean. Obviously, he's got a mean streak, as everybody knows. Um, can do anything he wants as an offensive lineman. And, uh, you know, the, the game that he had against Jadavian Clowney uh, in the Outback Bowl, Clowney gets remembered most for that hit that he had against Vincent yeah. Smith. Uh, but Lawan was always the first to tell us that, that wasn't he wasn't against me for that hit <laughs> Vincent Smith. They had a great battle that day. And, and Michael Schofield was another uh, a terrific player, also a draft pick, I believe still playing in the NFL. I think he is anyway. Um a guy who started out as a guard and then kicked back out to tackle. A uh, pretty versatile player who really graded out well. Uh, both those guys were sort of snake-bitten on teams. I mean, they both played on the on the Sugar Bowl team, but, you know, they were just on offenses that didn't quite have it. And, um, you know, <laughs> I think Taylor Lewan would elicit a response of, depending on who you ask, who really liked him and who didn't. <laughs> but, I mean, a really talented player, of course, and it's hard to pick against those two guys in terms of tackles uh, overall. Looking at the the interior line spots, we uh, we went with David Molk at center. Uh, Mason, yeah, we're cheating here on some of this, <laughs> which is fine. I have no problem with it. Mason Cole uh, at guard, Graham Glasgow, who we watch now with the Lions. Yeah, guard. I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if Mason ever played guard, but we're gonna leave him there All because right. he could have. <laughs> so we cheated. Uh, so the question I was gonna ask is. Uh, how close were so I think yeah. one of the hard things with this list was how to like weigh the guys who are still playing now yep. versus yep. the guys who you know had their kind of complete body of work. How close were we uh, to putting on a guy who uh, you know, one of the guys who's playing now, Caesar Ruiz, Ben yep. Bredesen, uh, Mike Wenyu? How close? Was yeah, Bredesen and Caesar, uh, and maybe Mike, but Bredesen probably mostly would be the probably the the, the just missed here because he's he's going to finish as a four year starter, sort of like Mason Cole was. Um, he's going to get drafted. Uh, you know, he's going to be on a team next year in the NFL. Caesar might get drafted too. I mean, that you know, he might be on a team next year if he chooses to do that as well. But it's hard to put him right because Lawan was drafted in the first round. Schofield was drafted. Uh, Mason Cole and Grand Glasgow, I think, were both day two picks. Molk was drafted. Uh, and David Molk stopped playing on his own. He chose to stop playing um, uh, and retire early from football. But Molk was the best. Center they've had here. He was a Remington Award winner. He was outstanding. Uh, Glasgow was the walk-on story that, you know, the best walk-on probably they've had because he he showed up and suddenly in 2013 was one of their best linemen. And everybody was like, what the hell is going on here? And then it was pretty clear that uh, a versatile player, Mason Cole and Graham Glasgow were two of the most unique guys because I think Graham especially, and probably Mason too, they could have played all five spots. Hmm. Um uh, Graham could have played either tackle spot, either guard spot, same with center. And I think Cole absolutely could have done the same thing. Bredesen, the only thing that changes with him is I don't know if he's ever played center, but those two guys could do anything. And so versatility-wise, they have to be on there. Mulk won the Rivington, so it's hard to leave. It's hard to put Ben or uh, or Caesar on there right now. Yeah. 
All right, switching to the uh, the defensive side, our defensive line. We actually, I the list you're looking at, we have one different guy no, on there. Do? Okay, uh, Winovich. Oh, uh, sure. Graham, I think was pre uh, pre 2010. Oh, right. So we had yep. to sub we him out for uh, put right. uh, put uh, Chase Winovich on there. So Mo yep. Hurst, Chase Winovich, Mike Martin, Chris Wormley. What do you remember about that group? Yeah, and this is a tough one because there's a lot of really good. This is probably the toughest one because. I immediately, when we name these guys, think, all right, well, we didn't say Ryan Glasgow, we didn't say Taco Charlton, uh, and those guys were terrific, of course, but Hurst, um, most explosive interior lineman I've seen here. Martin was up there as well. Martin and Ryan Glasgow are really hard for me, because those two guys are, you know, Mike Martin was a was a destructive force uh, on the interior of a defensive line on not great defenses, but he was good enough to help make everybody else around him better. Uh, and Ryan Glasgow, the more I'm going to talk about this, the more I'm going to probably talk myself into putting Ryan Glasgow on the team. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, uh, but, we're taping this before yeah, he actually published this, so if it looks different. Ryan was never going to be somebody who statistically stood out because he wasn't his job, but in terms of steady nose tackle play, was so consistent and so good. And then Wormley, uh, I think that with the development he made over the years, Wormley was such a good you know, what they call the anchor defensive end for Don Brown. He played a bunch of different positions and moved all over the place. And by the end of his career, the last two years, he was outstanding. Uh, really just the most consistent guy they had up there that every day uh, you knew he was going to be really, really good. So a consistent force, a guy who made plays, who helped other people be, can become better. And then Winovich, um, yeah, you have to put him on there, right? I mean, Winovich was a, a terror for people. People hated to play against him because of how much he talked, but they also hated <laughs> to play against him because the last two years... You know, for a guy that came to Michigan as an outside linebacker, then they moved to tight end, then back to linebacker, then to nowhere, and then he goes to defensive end, and they tell him to gain all this weight, uh, and he does it. And, you know, as a third-year player, he starts to get some reps. And then his junior and senior year, it was just production. I mean, he just he just made play after play after play and was relentless. Um, so, yeah, he has to be on there as well. Brandon Graham, I guess, would have, I, I got confused because he was uh, left in 09, right? So he can't be on there, but... Uh, Pretty good foursome, uh, I would say overall. Hurst, um, you know, maybe the most underrated, I think, at times on that list. Although I think he ended up getting All American status by the end of his time, but he was really good and um, had that heart issue at the combine hmm. uh, and kind of dipped his draft stock. I think he would have been drafted much higher if, if it hadn't been for that. But uh, all those guys drafted in the NFL, of course. Taco Charlton was the first round pick. Uh, Taco to me was probably maybe the most physically gifted, but we didn't see it all the way through from Taco like we did for Wormley, so that's probably yeah. why I picked him. Okay. Uh, well, the linebacker uh, spot—that's um, yeah. uh, some of these maybe were a little bit uh, a little bit hard. This, I mean, not hard yeah. to find right. like you know really talented players at linebacker. I mean, Michigan—it's uh, been a, a good uh, a good decade for yeah. Michigan linebackers. It has. Uh, you got a Heisman Trophy finalist, right? Jabril yep. Peppers, yep. Devin Bush, who you've said might be the best player. Best player I've seen. You've seen. Yeah. Uh, and Jake Ryan. Uh, so yeah, thoughts yeah. on that group? A lot of TFLs in that group. Uh, Jake Ryan was a guy who started out as an underrated, like a two-star recruit, who they found that could get up for the passer. So he starts out as a sort of a rush end, turned outside linebacker, eventually turned middle linebacker. He excelled at everything he did. Uh, Big-time playmaker. Uh, also made a lot of plays in the NFL. I think he may be hurt right now, but I think he's had a nice NFL career, overcame some injuries, really good player. Another guy that was on that list of uh, the Michigan-Michigan State player. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Trayvon Pendleton who said yeah. that Jake Ryan was a guy he was respected the most. Bush, of course, is... I've never seen anything like him. Um, 
faster than Jabril Peppers in the 40, believe it or not. That's still some, faster than Denard, believe it or not, which is still like mind-blowing to me. But something that did, in fact, happen was the best player on that defense both years he was the starter. Not even close. Uh, and then Jabril, um, it, always a polarizing guy because of sort of like Rashawn Gary, who we didn't end up putting on the defensive line list. But, you know, Rashawn was another one of these guys who got had all these expectations because of where he was as a recruit. Had a really good career, but you know he got hurt and, and 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 the like, and didn't play as much. Jabril only really played here two years, and they didn't win a championship, and he didn't do certain things that maybe if you're a highly rated cornerback, people think that you're going to be this interception guru. And he only had one interception, so I think people would nitpick at things with him because he had so much hype around him. But Jabril was the best player on the team both those years. In 2015, by the end of the season, the the offense, when they, they went into the Ohio State game and Jabril was going to play like the entire game because they were like, he's the best player we have. He has to be out here at all times. Same thing in 2016. He was the best player they had. He could do so many things for them. The return game. I mean, all the you have to put Jabril somewhere and we put him <laughs> at linebacker because there was never a, you know, never a label on him that, that really seemed to fit. And now he's playing the kind of the rover safety in the NFL, which is where he should be. And I think in time, he's going to turn into a really consistent defensive player uh, wherever he ends up. Um, but a special talent who I always thought, boy, if they ever would have just let him pick one spot and stay there, he, we would have thought of him differently, I think, at the end. And I really think that if... I was torn on this at the time, but I do go back on it and say, he probably should have been playing running back. <laughs> I was torn on that at the time because I think his NFL future... For the, and I think it might have been his choice. You know, he may have seen that too. I'm going to make more money for longer yeah. playing on the defensive side of the ball. This was he was Reggie Bush. I mean, that's what he was with the ball in his hmm. hands. And it's it's hard for me to square that. But uh, a special player, a special talent, and impossible to not have him on there. It was a good decade for linebackers. Yeah. Good decade for cornerbacks uh, at, at Michigan. We had some choices yeah. on that one. Uh, went with Jordan Lewis, and I believe this is the first uh, current, current player guy. we've got yeah. on the list. Oh, yeah. uh, Lavert Hill too. Yeah, Jordan is number one with a bullet. Um, the The season in twenty fifteen where he broke up like five hundred passes still <laughs> exists. Will stand alone for quite a long time. And then going into his senior year, he could. There was nobody who was getting anything on him. He was, um, you know, one of the Jordan should be on any list of guys who were you know talented out of the city of Detroit. You know, Jordan is one of the best players. That's come out of the city of Detroit in a long time. A guy who was immediately ready to play when he got to college. You know, walked the walk, the whole thing. Very confident. Uh, teammates loved him. Uh, was friends with a lot of people on the team, you know, from similar and different backgrounds. Everybody loved Jordan Lewis, um, you know, in the locker room and everything else. And respected him because of how well he played and how serious he took the game. Uh, and Jordan was the type of guy that sets the table for a guy like LaVert Hill, who we also put on the list. Um, and Lavert has been an all-conference player since he's been here. David Long probably had the better athletic ceiling and probably will end up with – I think David probably ended up with a higher draft slot than Lavert will get. But I think Lavert's probably been more of the – if you asked an opposing team, I think they would say Lavert's the guy that's been the top corner maybe on their list in terms of guys mm-hmm. we want to really avoid. When it was mm-hmm. Lavert Hill and David Long, it was like, well, this is really tough because mm-hmm. they're both NFL-level players. Um yeah, but Lavert's lived up to it for sure. Um, you know, and he's a guy who looked up to Jordan Lewis. You know, now you see it with Ambry Thomas, who looked up to both of those guys, and uh, it's it's an interesting lineage that they all have there. But Jordan is the guy 
uh, for sure. And then, you know, you talk about other guys. Channing Stribling had a nice career uh, at Michigan. Um, David Long would be another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other corners who maybe would stand out. Uh, those are the guys probably at the yeah. top of the list that I would say that uh, you have to put up there. And maybe there's some others that I'm missing, but, you know, they were... They were the dudes. Jordan Lewis, one of the best cover corners in the Big Ten I've seen since I've been doing this for sure. Yeah. What safety? Uh, Jared Wilson, Jordan Kovacs were the two. Yeah. Uh, two guys. Yeah. You know, Metellus is probably kind of on yep, the fringe maybe. of that. He's he's worked his way into having a nice career. But, maybe. Uh, what what was it with these two guys? Wilson was. Uh, I think he's still in the NFL. Wilson was a very underrated player when he was here. Um, very smart, very savvy athletically uh, and rangy athletically. Long, like six two. Could do a lot of things. Could play against the run. Got everybody organized. Um, you know, could could come up and tackle as well. So I mean, he did a lot of things and helped steady them at times. I thought uh, during years where they didn't have a lot of depth, maybe uh, Delano Hill would be another guy, maybe that would be yeah. in the conversation. Uh, and then Jordan Kovacs was, um, yeah, I mean Jordan Kovacs was like the ultimate to me, um, the ultimate back end sort of like captain in terms of. Uh, they were never out of position, you know, when Jordan Kovacs was out there. That was one thing that when he... I remember when Jordan Kovacs left and graduated, I remember the next year they were having problems, and it took me a while to be like, why are they suddenly just having so many issues back here? And then it just all hit me. Like, somebody must have said it, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, well, Kovacs isn't back there, so they're mm-hmm. disorganized. And they're not, you know, they're not communicating the way they need to be. Uh, and I thought Jordan was so good at that. And then Jared Wilson eventually became that. Uh, on his own, but I mean, Kovacs for me was the first one because he was here in 2011 when I got here, and uh, just a terrific, uh, not only player, he was a way better athlete than people probably gave him credit for as a former walk-on who did play in the NFL, uh, but in terms of, you know, IQ, those two guys are probably the top for me in terms of guys who really know what they were doing and were really, really good at getting everybody settled and in position where they needed to be. Okay, real quick, we'll uh, run through special teams. Will Hart, another current Wolverine yep. uh, at, at punter there. Uh, Kenny Allen was yep. was the kicker. Uh, and a, a kind of a late addition to the list for the all-purpose, I threw on Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it probably should be Peppers, but he can't be on there twice. So yeah, we'll exactly. Put yeah. Yeah, right. uh, you know, Peoples-Jones yeah, like, he's maybe, moments, maybe yeah. hasn't like had the whole career yeah. that people uh, hoped for, given you know the, the hype around his... Uh, his recruiting, but a uh, guy who's found the end zone at least in a lot of different ways. He has, and he did it right away. I mean, he showed up, and he was a guy who got on the field right away, and he's been a factor in special teams and uh, on offense, you know, consistently all the way through. Obviously, he had some injuries that he's had to deal with here this year, of course, but, um, you know, certainly a guy that if they kick, even now, kick him the ball with some room, um, and uh, you don't know what's going to happen, and that's uh, that's tough to find uh, year in and year out for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll wrap it on this. So uh, as part of this project, yep. we uh, identified the top moments uh, mm-hmm. of of the decade. Uh, I had Jim Harbaugh's hiring, which yeah, obviously is yep. uh, you know obviously is sort of the turning point of of the decade. Uh, there's the punt game against yep. Michigan State that nobody will forget. There's the spot game against yeah, all these geez. games with these controversial uh, labels. Or they're on the wrong end of everyone. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, of, of all those uh, of all those moments in the decade, which one is the one that you covered that you think will, uh, will stay with you the longest? Probably the punt or the spot game. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Harbaugh hiring was one is, I mean, that was such a long, exhausting thing that I probably would try to forget how hard that was to cover. Uh, but probably the, the spot game, probably, that was the best game I've seen 
live covering Michigan because uh, Michigan was really good. Ohio State was really good. And it's the similar. It's like the the senior version of the spot or the punt game because mm. Michigan State was really good. Michigan was really good. But those the in 2016, those were two of the best four or five teams in the country, and they went at it really hard and played a terrific game. And everybody always remembers it for that that spot and that moment and that, you know, what's going to happen here as time sort of seemed to stop for a little bit as they reviewed the thing. But what I remember most is it was a great game. I mean, it was a wire-to-wire game and a crazy atmosphere and everything else. And, um, you know, one where truly you could – I mean, the most pressure I've ever seen on one game is probably what I would say is that both sides, even Urban Meyer – for the success Urban Meyer had had at that point. I remember it was only the second year of Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. So I think Urban knew, if I lose this game, this is going to be a problem for me. Like Because he's going to get some momentum out of this. And the same thing for Harbaugh. If you can't win this game, this is going to be a major problem for you. And I think we've seen that it's still a game that, that haunts Michigan's program to a degree. And it might be one that haunts him for, for an awful long time. So that was a pretty big deal, uh, memorable game. And in terms of just quality overall, wire to wire, we don't see a lot of, you know, Instant, people say instant classics a lot, right? Mm-hmm. They throw that around. That, to me, is one for sure because that was a terrific football game all the way through. Well, fitting that we end there because uh, it is Ohio State week as yeah. you're listening to this. So uh, still a little bit of time left in yeah, the decade for, <laughs> for Michigan to uh, give us something that belongs on this list. So, uh, hey, thanks for checking out this special episode of the RPM podcast. And make sure you check out all the all-decade stuff this week at The Athletic. Uh, and come back with us next week. We will have a lot to talk about after the uh, the Wolverines and the Buckeyes play. So uh, until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.